This episode is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Why not take the bond challenge by using the free Interactive Brokers bond search tool to search their deep availability of bonds and to compare available yields against those of your broker. Learn why Benzinga named Interactive Brokers best broker for bonds in 2021 at ibkr.com slash bonds. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. On the move, EV and metaverse stocks steal the show this week. High flyers and, well, fly then fall. We're picking up where we left off, back to basics. And we're talking about ways to save with the one and only Kevin Hoffman. All this and much more on episode number 741 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Welcome back and getting towards Thanksgiving. I got myself a turkey already. Getting ready to make a smoker. Going to put it uh, in there in the spatchcock style. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz, and you probably know me by now. I'm the host of this show. I wanted to uh, get into our discussion quickly this week. Before we do that, I want to mention that we do have a great webinar coming up, something we haven't done for a while. I know a lot of you have asked us to do this. Kind of a Q&A, informational, looking back at 2021, looking forward to 2022, some of the themes that were, some of the themes that could be, what's going to happen if the Fed does, in fact, raise rates, inflation, how is it going to look with your bond portfolio, with your stock, should we be on the value side, on the growth side, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, listen, easy to register, We're giving you a lot of warning on this one, a lot of a head start, December 15th at 5 p.m. You can go over to the disciplinedinvestor.com on the right side. There's a uh, little button there that says, hey, register. So go do that and check it out, and you can get registered. We'll make sure that you're involved. And, yeah, we're going to have a Q&A session like we did all those times through that COVID lockdown where we had those Monday afternoon Q&As. So not only will we be talking about some of our viewpoints of what went on during the year 2021, but also what's going on in 2022 as we see it. And as I promised, we are going back to basics. And today we're going to be talking about ways to save. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about things like taxes and estate planning. And there's a lot of core issues that you really need to deal with when you're looking at investing. The idea of retirement planning, the idea of getting yourself towards financial security, which is the goal of all this, isn't it? So I thought what we'd do is bring back Kevin Hoffman, who's been working with me since, I don't know, since the days began way back in, I'm almost when the podcast began back in 2008, or so. And I wanted to really focus in on just a hodgepodge of ideas, the discussion of, you know, how do we save? What's the best way to save? Where can we save? In other words, not only the idea of what to put your money into, like, okay, I like that stock or like that bond or like that ETF, which we're going to kind of get to next week, but really the core essentials and the ways to invest. So Kevin, welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, you know, we are going to go over 
um, a, a, a broad base. I don't know if we can really consolidate this in any kind of cohesive discussion, but I thought we would just start at the beginning and talk about the idea of, um, you know, these days, it's a, lot, it's a lot tougher for people to save, isn't it? Yeah, saving, it's difficult. It's, it's not easy. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable unless, <laughs> you know, unless, of course, you know, it's something that you like. You like that security blanket. You like knowing that you have uh, funds available for if an emergency were to happen or if you were to get sick or go to the hospital or, or whatever it might be. But certainly, you know, savings like dieting. It just it's not fun to do. You know, everybody well, likes to spend. Everybody likes to, you know, buy new things, of course. You know, the new iPhone, the new iPod, you know, whatever it might be. NFTs. Well, that's kind of a yeah. savings. But no, the thing is, it's not that people don't like necessarily having the safety blanket in the future and the opportunity for one day to retire. It's the it's the process getting there is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's a lot of different tactics and a lot of different ways in in, in to get to a position of saving and, 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 and getting a good amount, you know, in your accounts. But, you know, long are the days that, um, you know, your, your company that you work for is willing to take care of you in your retirement years. They're not going to provide you with a pension anymore. Yeah. You know, you're in charge of your 401k. Um, you know, they, they will certainly give you some um, incentives to, right. to save, whether it be, you know, through a matching or, or whatever it might be, but, you know, you're not going to work there and then all of a sudden you retire and, you know, you get 70 or 80% of your salary unless you're in some sort of a, you know, military or education. Uh, right, or the type, government type or, or post office or something like that. You right. know, for those of you who are new to all of this and young and you are thinking like, what in the world are they talking about that, you know, gone are the days? The fact is that way back when, back in the early days of working, you would work for a company and there was no 401ks. There was no what we called, oh, look at those cool uh, defined contribution programs. It was what was called a defined benefit program that you worked for a certain amount of years. Usually it was either 20 or 30, maybe 25 for some companies. And then after that, you would go and just say, well, I'm retiring and what do I get? And they would pay you an absolute salary for the rest of your life that's usually adjusted for inflation. That is just not the case anymore. Nope, doesn't exist. Doesn't exist, unfortunately. Although I did talked to someone just the other day and we talked about the whole idea that they, they got a merger and this whole thing happened. And one of the parts with the merger was that, that partners of the firm were guaranteed uh, a few hundred thousand dollars a year on retirement. So that was kind of, that was good. That sounds like a good gig. I know we got to find out where that is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> when it comes to, to, to dealing with this on your own, the hope is that first of all, that um, your company does supply something. Like whatever it is, or else you're totally on your own, right? But let's let's get even before that. Let's talk about. I want to start with the youngest of our listeners, and the idea that you know there is a difference. There is a major differential between if you start saving early and you start saving late, right? Right. Yeah. What, what's the what's the old Chinese proverb that uh, you know the, the the best day to plant a tree was yesterday or something right. like that or <laughs> right. But anyway, you know, saving early and saving often is, you know, is a key. And it doesn't matter, you know, how much you save, you know, if you can do, you know, a certain amount per paycheck or set aside an automated savings type plan, that is the best case scenario. Because at least for me, you know, savings is a very personal thing. Certain people are very, very diligent in saving and they can, you know, take money out of their bank account and putting it in, put it into a savings account. Me, if I see it in the bank account or if I have it in my pocket, it's gone. Really? 
I know you for a long time. That is not how I see you spending money. Well, that's because I always yeah. push it away. You know, if I don't <laughs> oh, see so you it, don't leave it in the bank. Is that's the point. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. If it's if it's it, if, I don't know if you guys have ever had cash in your pocket, but it just goes. I don't know where it goes to, but yeah. it's always gone. You know, right. whether you go to the bar, you go to the restaurant, or you you know you happen to be in the mall, or you know online shopping. You know, I don't know, but honestly, you know, it's it's a very personal thing, and you know the way. I personally find it best is to have an automated savings type plan, either deducted from my paycheck or using, you know, separate accounts where I have, you know, a working capital type of account that takes care of my rent, my mortgage, my, uh, you know, monthly expenditures, you know, paying down my credit cards, whatever it might be. And then you have a savings account that you transfer money back and forth uh, to that account, hopefully just to that account, not not back. Right, I call I call it the lobster trap trap mentality. That's how I do my savings, and I've explained this to my kids, my wife. Once it goes into that particular account that is labeled the lobster trap, it doesn't come out. That's a, that's a good one. You know, I like mean? that. It just it's like if I take it out, it's like I did something wrong. I'm bad. This is not good. You know, this is has to be replaced very quickly. Seriously, it's like a mental game that I created years ago. That it's like it goes in, it doesn't come out. So. I mean, that, that's one thing. The other thing is that, obviously, you mentioned the idea of uh, systematic savings. And, and it used to be, again, I'm going to give you some historical reference here. There used to be plans. As a matter of fact, it was from Fidelity, I think, that was a contract. It was like an eight-year or a 10-year contract that you were obligated to put the money in on a regular basis each and every month. That's long by the wayside because what happened was it was actually a contract. If you didn't put your money in, you had a problem. And it was weird that they charged you like 8% every single time you deposited your money. And if you didn't do it, it was like they still had a claim, and which was weird because it was your own money. Those things don't exist. But, you know, you look at some of the um, the items that, that we deal with on a daily basis and, you know, you get a raise or somehow you come into some money or maybe your expenses go down, which it's not in these days of an inflationary environment. But the point is, try to set up that budget and and as a budget line item, there needs to be that savings. Now that it, when we're dealing with the beginnings of savings and you're starting to do it from scratch, it doesn't always exactly work out so perfectly because things come up. But one thing I'm gonna share with you, I am telling you from experience from myself, you can back me up on this, Kevin. I'm telling you experience how we work with clients, that when you set something up, at first, it's like, oh, how can I afford to put $100 per paycheck into my 401k plan? Five years later, it's like, I, I don't even know it's going there. I don't right. even, you know, it's, it's, it's like it just, it just happens. In fact, by five years later, you're probably up to $200 or $250 per paycheck into your 401k plan. And it, it hurts and stings for a moment. But then it's kind of seems like just uh, a, a normal way of, of operating. The other thing is that helps you with this, right, Kev, is the whole idea of when you're putting money aside on a systematic basis, you're essentially, and, and you're putting into an investment of some sort, it's, it, it alleviates the problem of when do I invest? Right. It, it creates yeah, a, it automatically does like a dollar cost averaging type of a plan. And especially in a, in a company 401k or a company retirement plan, generally those are invested automatically. Um, you know, most of the time you set up in the beginning, you know, what you want your allocation to be, your investment allocation, and it just gets invested every time your your funds go into the account. So with that being said, you know, compounding interest is your friend. 
And, yeah. you know, saving early and starting early, you know, only benefits you in the long term uh, from that compound interest uh, uh, standpoint. You know, I, I was in Egypt and I'm looking at all this. I think Egypt had two, at least two of the, uh, there's, there's multiple wonders of the world. There's like the, uh, the, the original wonders and the new wonders, but they had the, the pyramids of Giza. They had the, uh, I think it was the lighthouse in Alexandria and the Sphinx. There's like three of the major uh, wonders of the world. But the other wonder of the world that I kept on saying all the time I was in Egypt, I'm looking at the uh, the pyramids. I'm like, well, pyramids versus the idea of compounding of interest and the magic of when you go from, you know, one to two to four to eight to 16, 64, you know, that whole compounding factor that happens. But but the best way to compound is to have a long road. If, if you only have two years, the compounding doesn't, it's not helpful, right? It doesn't work very well. Right. If you have 30 years or 40 years, that compounding has that extra last doubling factor. Let's say if you're making 11% on a seven-year basis, 7.2 years, if you use the rule of 72, right? So you get that incredible move. So, but who could do this? I mean, is, is, there, is there like, um, is there ways to do this with 50 bucks per month? Of course. Yeah. I mean, generally what, you know, I try and tell people and clients and, and, and younger people in, you know, my age group or younger is, you know, take 10 to 15% of your paycheck if possible and just have it automatically contributed to that 401k. I know it may seem like a lot, like you said before, it may seem like a lot, but really with a long enough time horizon, it's about time in the market and not timing the market. Yeah. Cause if you're trying to time the market, you know, you're going to get whipsawed back and forth. It's going to cause too much stress. But, you know, especially for people who have a 30 or 40 year time horizon for, you know, before retirement, that's plenty of time to, to make up for even the most volatile market dips like in 2000 or even 2008. I mean, if you look at the charts, you know, you'll see back in 2000, massive dip. 2008, same thing, massive dip. But we're well beyond that now. Right. So, you know, even if you tried to time the markets back then, um, you know, and you, and you never got back in, you know, it, it's it's too difficult. So, you know, time in the market is better than trying to time the market. All right. Basic, basic thoughts. I mean, obviously, again, back to basics that we're talking about, ways to save. But you know what, Kevin, uh, you know what? I get Social Security in the future. Yeah, I'm not sure if you will. Why not? You never know. I mean, I'm, I'm old. Have, have you? Well, that's true. I'm definitely that's true. close. That's true. <laughs> but no, I mean, you're right. I mean, Social Security, I'm not sure we can rely on it too much anymore. You know, with the rate of inflation, the way it's going these days and um, the amount of debt that the U.S. is racking up, you know, it, it's you never know. And it, why rely on something that um, or re why rely on the government uh, when you can do it yourself? Yeah, you know? I, I, that's a good point. It's the same thing as why rely on my company? When I can do it myself, right. you know, riches were not made from people that got up to the point of social security and then started collecting social security and then somehow decided to invest at that point. I mean, the fact is that was made throughout their lifetimes in various investments and diversification of different things. And whether or not it is that you want to invest in things that are really aggressive or things that are really conservative, or if you want to have a gigantic savings plan. I just had a conversation this week with a client that's coming on board and he had a huge amount of money in his, just his savings account. And uh, I asked him, well, why? What is that? Well, he felt comfortable. You know, he wanted liquidity, he wanted to be able to use it and maybe buy some real estate at any given time, have the ability to tap it. But then he realized that at the same time that as the years have gone on, he has not found himself able to really do that. 
So why not take part of that and invest it in something over time? So I think that, you know, the knowledge of who we are, our risk tolerance is really important, but also the reality, if you stop just for a moment as you're listening to this and you think about the future and you see yourself 20 years in the future and you wonder, how is it that I'm going to afford that car, that 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 play that I want to go to, dinner with my wife, the vacations, I want to take uh, my family somewhere, is that going to be done uh, with the fact that you're spending all your money now or taking a little bit of that and putting it aside. I mean, that's really the, that's, that's the question of all this, right? Yep. Save now for the later. Now, one of the ways you could do this is by really having a very close relationship with your budgets. Now, budgeting, budgeting. When I first started out in my career as a certified financial planner, I don't know if you could say that. Do I have to say like a certified financial planning practitioner practitioner or something like that with a little R and an asterisk or something, something like that. I am a practitioner certified financial, CFP, CFP, which I don't think I'd say that either, but whatever. You know, you do this thing and then they start getting all crazy about it because they have the licensure availability and you have to pay for that every year, of course. But nonetheless, it was all about like, hey, let's do a budget. And I used to spend an inordinate amount of time working on these budgets and I'd have a couple come in and we go through it and say, okay, let's uh, do this. And, you know, do you want me to tell you you're spending too much on manicures? I don't think so. So we're not going to touch that line. Okay, little Johnny, am I going to tell you you shouldn't buy little Johnny clothes for school? I'm not going to touch that line. So after you finish all of this and you try to come up with this, you get, you know, $222 a month excess. What are you going to do with it? The problem is I have found that that usually is thrown out the window as soon as they walk out of my office. They go and sell, go to a, a luncheon that they didn't expect and paid, you know, a couple of bucks for that. It's not in the budget. So unless you're really good with spending time with each and every expense, I mean, there are some software programs that do that for you, but there is somewhere in the middle of that I think that's important, right? Right. So it's not like I, in a diet, I'm starving myself. I'm not eating forever. I'm going to cut back a little. Right. It's all about moderation. It's about, you know, just like dieting. Like you said, the more you take in, the more you have to output. With yeah. Saving yeah. or with budgeting, it's whatever comes in, you know, you only have a certain amount that can go out. Otherwise you start going into debt and debt is not what you want to be in, especially when it comes to credit card type debt. Now that's a good, now that's a good segue because there is that balance. Now a lot of people have some savings but they also have big, chunky credit card bills. And, and what is, how does that work? See, that just doesn't make sense to me from my perspective. If you have savings and you have the ability to pay off those credit cards, you should do it every month. And, you know, time and time again, I see people racking up credit card debt. And that is some of the worst debt that you can have because the interest rates on credit cards are astronomical. Yeah, 18, 20% or something like that. Yeah, that's, that's something that you're probably never going to be guaranteed to make up in the market whether you're investing or your money market or your CDs, it, whatever savings you have is not going to keep up with that 20%. But, but the problem is that people get themselves caught up. And we've seen this too. We've had clients, we've dealt with this. We've, we've, we've in our office, we've cut their credit cards up with them, right? That's and right. had like a little credit card party. And then what happens next? And they open up a new credit card. <laughs> so that's where the problem, right? That's where the problem is. You can't, do that again. Now, on the other hand, 
I'm not suggesting, I don't think we're suggesting you use a debit card only because there are some great cash back opportunities with good credit cards where you can go and you can actually get upwards of three, four, 5% cash back or points, and you can then redeem them for travel, airlines, or whatever you're doing, Christmas presents and, and holidays. Those are great, but the management of those credit cards actually can come in very handy each and every month if you can do it. The problem is if you're paying 20% per year, and even a great year like this year where you have 20% that you could have made in the market, you still didn't make that money on that money. So probably before anything happens, I think cutting up those credit cards or at least paying them off should be one of the first goals because it's an instant 20% savings. Right. Yeah, you're, you're automatically paying yourself back 20% a year when yeah. you have those when those credit cards are, are, are paid off. And, you know, certainly, you know, at least on a monthly basis, you know, if you're using credit cards or you're using debit cards, you know, versus cash, it's worth sitting down with that monthly statement, taking a look at, you know, what did I spend money on? Because it adds up quick. You know, if you go out to, to lunch or to dinner, you know, two, three times a week, it can get expensive. You know, yeah. versus, you know, going to the grocery store and, and cooking well, on your let's, own. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's just kind of very quickly go through some things that, that, that happened. I remember very distinctly back in 2008, I had a bit of a panic moment. 2007, I started thinking, you know what? Markets are looking really crappy and there's a whole financial meltdown about to happen. I wrote about that in my book, The Disciplined Investor. Uh, actually, if you, if you ever grab my book on the back... I have it right in my hand here. It's called The Disciplined Investor Essential Strategies for Success, available over on Audible, by the way. Um, and, and, and this was done in 2007. It said, current financial trends indicate that within the next three to six years, global markets could face another significant plunge, similar to the market crash of 87 and 2000. And I talked about that, and then I gave practical advice on, on how to deal with your portfolio. But my point is— So when's the next book coming out? Yeah. So the point is, <laughs> I wrote a second one. That's it. It's like, it's, 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 I can imagine, I don't know how what it's like having a baby without anesthesia, but the writing a book is kind of like that. Um, but, but some practical things that happened in, in 2008 before the markets melted down. I was very, very worried about what's going to happen to the business, what's going to happen to my personal financial situation. I went around the office with a pad and I wrote down, okay, do we really need that water cooler? Do we really need that subscription to Pitney Bowes? Do we really need this coffee service? You know, went around, kind of went through that. Those are the kind of things that you could do as well on a regular basis without a panic mode setting in. It's things like we talk about the credit card, right? This whole credit card issue. There's also things like what? There's, There's your I, Netflix subscription. Uh, right. There's your Amazon Prime subscription. You know, what else is out there? Hulu. I mean, there's all these recurring expenses that you probably have in your credit card. And maybe you use them. Maybe you use them once a month. Maybe not. Right. But, so all the OTT packages you could look for in your TV of what you want to look at um, to maybe eliminate or to change or maybe go from like a cable, Comcast, AT&T, whatever it is, to maybe just OTT and skinny bundles. Right. So that's something, cutting the cord, so to speak. Right. And then figuring out what it is that you need because that could save you a little bit. I, I just cut back my Netflix. It was a different reason entirely because one of my TVs does something very strange at the ultra high def. It kind of makes the picture very dark when it's a ultra high def. And it took me a year to figure this out. So I took off the ultra high def because I saved myself six bucks a month. No big deal. Everything's bright and cheery now. It's really easy to look at, but I still have Netflix. But the point is, you know, again, you know, coffee, a cup of Starbucks is how much? 
How much is it? I don't you know. Drink it, it, so it blew my mind actually. I went to Starbucks with uh, with my wife, and you know, we got two lattes, and it was twelve dollars or something yeah. like that. And it right. was like, how is that possible? I can make a cup of coffee at home for you know less than a dollar. Yeah, much less than a dollar. I mean, you can get a Cuban coffee for fifty cents around town here in Miami. Yep. So that gets packs just as much caffeine, by the way. <laughs> a little little cup. Um, luxuries, luxury items. You know, like um, we talk about the credit cards, where you can use some of the credit card. Um, uh, points to pay for your travel, for example. Um, things like, um, you know, going out to the bar versus, I guess, you know, pre-gaming or something. I'm not necessarily yeah, advocating But, you know, you that, have a get-together with friends and everybody brings something, you know, rather than everybody meeting at a bar and paying five bucks a beer or, you know, right. even, I don't know, I mean, I've been, out, been down to Miami and it's 10 to 12 bucks a beer, you know, it, it gets expensive. Right. Simple things also like, I'm, I'm thinking of something crazy like, you know, people have air conditioning units and not everybody has brought themselves up to the 2000s where you can have nest or automations that, hey, during this time of the day when I'm not home, it turns to this level or it kind of moderates or it looks for the most optimal amount of humidity in the house to either heat or to cool off. That could save you a couple of bucks per month. Yeah, and even just something as simple as scheduling. I mean, just schedule right. your schedule your AC unit or your heater, you know, so when you're gone, you know, I mean, a lot of people are working from home now. So, you know, at least I know on, on my house, my utility bill is ridiculously high because you have like 75 foot ceilings in your house. Exactly. Exactly. Plus two new kids. They're sucking up a lot of the air. They suck up a lot of air. They cry and they're blowing out a lot of hot air. They got to keep it cold in the house. (laughs) I I don't quite get it. You know, it's either too cold or too hot. Never Never know. Yeah. Hey, let's uh, just for a moment. I want to talk about the idea of, of, uh, we'll call it, you know, how to segregate. We, 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 We touched on this a little bit of how to segregate the money, the lobster trap concept versus some of the working capital. Before we do that, I want to talk about interactive brokers. And particularly, I want to talk about their portfolio analyst. You know, this is a, a this fits really right in here. We're talking about understanding your expenses and costs and savings because portfolio analysts essentially helps sophisticated investors understand the health of their complete financial portfolio. Portfolio analyst is free and it's easy to use as personal financial software that creates a consolidated view of banking and brokerage and your credit card account. You see it all right there. So this fits right in. You can compare your consolidated portfolio against more than 200 benchmarks to create customized benchmarks for analyzing performance. And you can calculate time and money-weighted rate of returns and use portfolio analysts for forecasting. You can sign up for free at portfolioanalyst.com. Totally free. So Definitely check that out. Powered by Interactive Brokers. You know we love Interactive Brokers. Portfolioanalyst.com. All right. So talking about uh, the the idea, the concept of segregating accounts, and um, one account uh, for what for for saving and what what how would we kind of put this out there? Yeah, I mean I like to keep things extremely simple when it comes to. Uh, to saving and to, to money management. And, you know, I think of it as a three-tier process. You have your working capital account. That would be just, you know, your regular bank checking, you know, your Wells Fargo, Bank America, you know, something simple like that. Easily accessible, place you have a good ATM nearby um, to, to get cash if you need to be. Then after that working capital account, you have a savings capital account or a savings account. That account can take care of any of your, um, you know, your automated debits from your, from your working capital account. Mm, and, I gotcha. you know, one way, uh, or one, one good place to do that, um, 
is to find a place with with a good money market rate. You know, usually those, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't really exist very much. But I'm telling you, there are some out there right, that at get, least pay a half a percent. Right, you get so, something. So you know, you got to start somewhere. But you have that savings capital account that you can then use for an investment account, whether it be at a Charles Schwab or a TD Ameritrade or something like that, right. to move money back and forth. But that savings account that you have there is is it acts like that emergency fund, that security blanket. So that you know at any point in time if something should happen, you have that that security blanket there. But that's also that's also the separation, right? So that hey, you know what? We need to uh, consider, uh, you know, get you know. Uh, that's your lobster uh, trap. Yeah, that's where it gets right. stuck. Well, so so you're saying that one? That's the one that you don't take it out of ever. Well, yeah, between the the savings account and the. That your brokerage account that you might have after you have your emergency fund built up. Right. That's okay. your lobster trap, along with your retirement account that you have with either your company or IRAs that you've started. Money goes in, doesn't come out. Correct. It's like Thunderdome. I don't know. Two men enter, one man leaves. I guess I don't Mad know Mad Max and the Thunderdome. That was uh, Tina Turner, I think it was. I'm a little or old no, for that. Or a little young so. for that reference, I yeah. guess. Thunderdome. Two men enter, one man leaves. Um, so... You have the lobster trap. You have that going on. And then you take that, by the way, and, and, and that lobster trap could link up to other crab and lobster traps, right? Whereas right. you have, whether it's your retirement plan, whether it's another uh, trading account, whether it's a, um, a brokerage account, whatever it is, then the savings account, which is not the savings account, the, the working capital, sorry, the working capital account is kind of where things move in and out of all the time. And the other thing that I find really interesting about doing it this way is by separating it, it's so much easier to track what's actually going on. Right. Because if you have that one account that everything goes in and out of, in and out of, in and out of, like, wh what do I have, right? Whereas if you segregate, and okay, here's my working capital account, and here's my savings account, I know all my money, if I'm going to use and go out and buy ice cream dinners, go to a bar, whatever, where do I get it from? My working capital account. And I don't have to worry that I'm impinging on my savings account. In addition to that, if you're working a little bit lean, what happens is, you know, you go, well, Till my next paycheck, I only got $380 in my working capital account. I can't go out for an $800 dinner. That, that'd be a big dinner. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, so uh, by myself. And, and so <laughs> <laughs> um, so you do that. Now, the other thing is is um, the idea of, of retirement accounts, right? So that's the third prong of all this. So we have, it's, it's almost like we have ultra short-term, short-term, longer-term savings. Ultra short-term is kind of the working capital, which is money in and out just like a corporation does. That's what they use it for. Then they have their short-term areas where they have money that's laying around to do things like whether it's share buybacks or whether it is to uh, you know raise, uh, uh, buy, buy goods, inventory, et cetera, pay people salaries. And then the longer term, which is there for you for the future, which not only is a lobster trap, but it's, it's kind of like a double lobster tra trap. Nothing ever comes out to some time in the future. Uh, it's like on a, a bank uh, safe timer. Right. You know, when, when you're 50, 60 years old, whatever it is. So the benefits, though, of the retirement plan outweigh all the others. You know, whether it's a 401k, an IRA, even a Roth for that matter, right? So um, how should we handle that? I mean, should we super fund that as much as possible? Or, or, or you know, is it better to kind of have a balance? Or I guess it's up to I mean, each individual. Certainly, certainly a balance is, is always good. But, you know, if you're getting some incentives in your retirement account or your, um, your company retirement plan, you should really push on those the most first. You know, if your company says, you know what, we'll match up to 3% of your salary, you know, if you put in 3%, you should at least try to do that. 
if not more. But even, let me just say something. I, I hate to interrupt you on this, uh, where you're going here. I have seen people and I've talked to them like, well, okay, are you utilizing the 401k plan? Well, no. Well, how come? My company doesn't match. I'm thinking, what? Wait, let me get this straight. So you're basically sticking a needle in your eye because your your, your company doesn't match. You're, you're not going to save for yourself, for your future, for your retirement because your company's not putting in. You're not going to get that tax deduction because you're mad that your company's not putting in. Does that make any sense? No. Yeah, I mean, certainly <laughs> right? more than just matching from a company retirement standpoint, there's a lot of tax incentives. And, you know, whether it be a Roth or a traditional 401k, you know, certainly putting money into that, that plan, it, with a 401k, they allow you a lot more money to go in. With a regular IRA or Roth IRA, you're limited to at least only $6,000, at least this year. But with a 401k, I think it's up to like eighteen seven fifty or eighteen thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. Well, something, and, there's, something like and, that. and there's extra you could put in over the age of, um, you know, age of fifty for the catch up provisions and all that. So, so right, that, but these are all things that you can do to av to avoid taxes legally. You know, yeah. Rather than having to pay pay the government, you know, but th this is tax deferred money, so it can it can sit in that account, it can grow tax deferred. You don't have to pay any capital gains on any sales. You don't have to pay any dividend taxes or anything like that uh, when it comes to the, these 401ks, whether it be a Roth or a traditional. So, you know, certainly, you know, trying to fund these the most you can. You know, when I started off working, you know, I wasn't making very much, maybe $20,000 a year, $25,000 a year. But I said, you know what, I'm going to set it right now that I'm going to put away 15% of my salary. And it was a lot. Right. It was, right. A, it was, it was a lot. I mean, for me, that was incredible. But, you know, as you get raises and as you go along and, you know, your salary tends to grow, then, you know, that money becomes, you know, kind of just there. Now, let me ask you this. Tell me if this is not true, because I've seen this a thousand times. I've never asked you this. You woke up one day and like, Holy crap, look how much I have in my IRA. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, but it, it takes a while for that to happen, though. It's, right. it's it's a solid 10 to 12 years that you're like, all right, it's only 50000 It's only $60,000 that's, that's in that account. But, you know, you keep continuing to put 15% of your salary or 10% of your salary away every year. Then, you know, all of a sudden you're up to 500000 or a million dollars, you know, once you turn 50, 60 years old. Right. So the – the um. The retirement plan, whether it's the 401k plan, whether it's maxing out or putting in partial, getting at least up to the level that your employer is matching or more is, is really, really a good way to go. That saves you taxes, that benefits you, that grows tax deferred, that will one day be available for you. You didn't pay any capital gains on any of the internal growth, et cetera. But the, the big caveat to that is that, you know, we don't know where taxes are going to be in the future. We don't know what your income level is going to be in the future, the tax rate. Uh, on that income level. And when you take that money out sometime in the future, every single penny is taxable. Right. The other alternative, which many 401k providers have, if not all these days, I mean, is the Roth 401k. Or better said, if you don't have an employer, you could put it into an IRA. Up to 100% of your income, IRAs are $6,000 per year, plus cash up provisions if uh, you're over age 50. But also Roth IRAs for those that maybe want to utilize those. Tell us the difference on um, the, the the basic difference between a 401k Roth and an IRA Roth versus the traditional. Well, it all boils down to what do you think tax rates are going to be in the future? Higher. <laughs> do you well, think they're going to be higher? Yes. Do you think they're going to be lower? You're asking me? Yes. Do you you're think, asking people. <laughs> do you think you yourself will be in a higher tax bracket when you get to the retirement age or will you be in a lower tax bracket when you get to retirement age? So 
when you're a young person in your 20s, you know, you're probably you know, not making very much money and you're not in a high tax bracket. But you know, as your salary tends to grow, you're going to be in a higher income tax bracket. So when you're young, sometimes saving in a Roth might be a better, better option. In fact, when you do the numbers and you crunch the numbers and you lay down the equivalent amount of, of, of rate of return on an annual basis and you look at the differential between one, okay, I put it into an IRA, I get a tax deduction, so I'm really not putting as much into my IRA to make that same number, right? Right. You know, so, so if it's $2,000, I'm just using that number, uh, that I put in my IRA and I get a tax deduction, it's like more like I, I get money back, so I'm putting in 1800 to get $2,000 worth of investment. I get a bonus there. Yep. Whereas a Roth, you actually have to make 2200 Again, this, I'm just throwing out numbers here, but 2200 to put in the 2000 The difference is both equivalently roll throughout time without any kind of taxes when you now have at the same time in the future $500,000. The difference is that when you take the money out from the IRA, it's taxable and the Roth is not taxable. This is essentially what, what everybody's so up in arms about in Washington about what Peter Thiel did. Basically put some kind of really low cost basis, ri ridiculous low cost, of PayPal in his Roth IRA, and his Roth IRA is like worth $5 billion now. He had all that growth for the last uh, dozen years or so, plus, and now he could take it out all tax-free, and Washington's just all a flutter about that. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. <laughs> but I'll tell you one, one other great incentive about company retirement plans is many times they'll give you access to funds, whether it be institutional level or uh, low-cost ETFs, that you may not be able to access through, um, you know, a normal IRA or a normal custodian. So, you know, ERISA really puts a stranglehold on a lot of these company retirement plans um, in order to make them really good for, for their employees. So accessing those institutional-based funds or pension-based funds, you know, you can really get a, um, a mutual fund that would normally cost uh, retail investors, say, 1.5%, that an institutional-based fund may only pay 75 basis points. So, yeah, I think we'd be remiss, though, to also tell about the other side, which is there's a lot of crappy funds right. inside of some plans where the, 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 the employer, unfortunately, has not done what they can to really try their hardest to bring in. We, we've seen some 401ks like this where the funds had higher costs. They had 12B1 fees. The performance was crap, and they only gave the employees the choice of those funds because really the employer didn't know, right? And 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 the the custodian, the 401 provider, they were getting a spiff on the back end for some of that. Now, when you work with Fidelity, for example, that usually doesn't happen, right? And the other thing that we also probably need to share is that as of today, the traditional 401k only really allows mutual funds as a core holding. You can't find any with ETFs, which is a little weird that that's not but there are a lot of passive mutual funds yeah, yeah. still available sure. in those. The whole Vanguard suite or right. a lot of Fidelity yep. names that are extremely inexpensive, low cost overall, good performance matched to an index is what you're saying. Right. But yeah. I think, like like I was saying before, I think the government is really trying to crack down on some of those 12B1 fees and those right. those, those funds that are really not suitable uh, uh, for for employees. Because I think they're really yep. trying to, to say, hey, this 401k is a, is a very special thing, a very protected thing. Uh, for the employees of uh, of the United States. So, you know, and, and we may not have Social Security. I think they're worried about that too. So well, I think I think the big issue right now is what we what people need to do also 
is take a look at what they have as options and look at, you know, are these the best? Now, you may not know this on your own, and obviously we have the tools to figure that out. So we've helped certain uh, several employees, uh, employers, you know, kind of like upgrade their plans. But if you're an employee, maybe you want to look at what's available. If you're an employer, maybe you want to reach out and find out if your custodian has other options that are available, not just the basic pool. Sometimes you can customize a 401k program to allow for uh, many different funds that are not traditionally inside of the 401k. Something to look at. The other thing that's that's really great about the 401k and a, an employer plan is what we started the, the discussion to begin with was, um, you know, keeping it simple, keeping it easy, doing it on a regular basis. And it comes directly out of your paycheck. Right. You don't have to handle it. You don't have to know it. You don't have to deal with it. You don't have to figure it out. One time you make an election on what to invest in. And then from there, it's just on autopilot. So really kind of. It's that set it and forget it. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, you know, back in the day, there was also a, a um, I think they still have these at the banks. To uh, I don't know, but we haven't heard of them. Something called the Christmas Club. Do you remember those? Oh. You don't remember Christmas Club? Oh, no. well, you're going to have to explain this one. To what me. you would do is that throughout the year, you would put money into your Christmas club account. You got very little interest. And that's equivalent to what you're talking about, about the, the, the segregated accounts. That was the Christmas club. And what you would do, it's kind of like you'd make these deposits. And I think you even had like a, a special deposit book with a candy cane on it or a Christmas tree, whatever. And you'd make the deposit. And that money would be what you would take out towards Christmas time in order to buy your Christmas presents. It was a Christmas fund. It was kind of a more of a the layaway. It was a, a long-term layaway of cash yeah. of what it was. So there is a way to do this today. Very similar. I don't know necessarily if this is something that we like, but there is kind of a way to do this that once a year you'll get more money in your pocket. And that's, looking at your tax withholding. It's not really a Christmas club, but it's kind of like, well, if I give the government more money, not that anybody wants to do this, but uh, if I give them more money to set aside on a regular weekly basis or, or by whatever, however you're often you're paid. So instead of saying I have three dependents, you go to zero. So now what's going to happen is that when you do your taxes at the end of the year, what's going to happen? You're going to get a big refund. You're going to get a big refund. You're going to be like, oh, look at that great refund. The government's paying me my money. It's so great. Now, they're not. It's your money that you're putting aside at zero interest. The key word is refund. Refund, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. That's people, I mean, a lot of people seem to think that, you know, when they do their taxes, this is free money. This is something right. that, uh, you know, it's kind of a windfall. Yeah, I got my It's return. not. Right. It's you paid in that money to the government. You gave them a free loan. And now you're getting it back. Right. So everybody's like, oh, I can't wait to get the money from the government. It's like, no. But you could use this as, a, as, a, as an odd way for those people that have a really hard time savings, right? Yeah. A really kind of- This is a last-ditch effort right yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. This is if all else is failing you. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not a fan. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, so this is if, if all else is failing and there's no other way for you to deal with this and you kind of can't do it. And instead of coming Christmas, you're going to get it summertime. You're going to get it May yep. of each year or June of each year. So if that's something that you want to think about, maybe even not going from, let's say, a, a four withholding to a zero, but backing it up a little bit to make sure that, one, you not don't have to pay anything extra. That's that's always a, a real 
hard thing to deal with. And two, that maybe you'll get some money back. Now, this is probably the worst financial planning advice that we could ever give you. The worst. The worst. So, you know, it's worse than, uh, let me think what it would be worse than. It'd be worse, it'd be worse than going all in on VXX. <laughs> but what I would say <laughs> is, is prior to doing something like this, maybe talk to your HR. See if they can put money into a separate account for you. They may be able to do a direct deposit into your working capital account, which you normally get every single, um, or biweekly or monthly or however you're paid. Or what they can do is potentially do two accounts. They can split it up. They can put some into your working capital account and some into your savings account. And it doesn't have to be a lot. You know, yeah. take $50, take $25, $100, whatever it might be, and have it put into that separate account. That's really interesting because I think a lot of people don't realize that, that you have the opportunity. A lot of HRs do have the ability, especially today with technology, to split your paycheck. I mean, they could do it for if you have to pay for uh, child uh, care support or something like that, or maybe even, um, you know, there's a requirement for something to be withheld from your paycheck due to a lawsuit or whatever it may be. So therefore, they could possibly provide multiple account deposits. So if you make $1,000 net, that's going to be paid out into your account and you have it at your, uh, you know, Wells Fargo Bank of America PNC account that it's going to go into, instead of doing $1,000, do, um, you know, nine twenty. And the other $80 goes into your savings account. Yep. And this way it's back into that lobster trap. And I want you to put that if you know how, how to do this, but you can go into your various bank accounts and you can put aliases on them, nicknames on them. So either use LT or the full name lobster trap. So every time you look at that, you know, mm, money can't come out of that account. Little mental tricks like that can kind of help you along with making sure that you have savings for the future. You know, one of the things we've talked about, like little mental tricks, like this whole idea of, you know what, to be invested, you don't have to be all in. The idea of one foot in, one foot out, this whole idea of kind of being involved, but yet kind of not fully there, being at least in a way that you can make money, but not get hatcheted up. These are the kind of things that you could really utilize over time. The flower garden idea of being diversified in your portfolio so that something is blooming at any given time of the market cycle. These are the core financial planning investment concepts that you really want to get to to know really well because they they help you because I've seen it. We've done it. We've gotten people beyond the days of saving through family, through taxes and all the way into retirement and then passing that down to the next generation. So I know it works. And this is something that we kind of are trying to bring to you in this four-part series of you know, getting back to basics, talking about savings ideas. Last week, Dan Pila was on talking about end-of-year taxes, and we talked about the Fab Five the week before, so make sure to listen to that. That was all about estate planning. So, Kevin, I'm going to wrap it up right here. I think we uh, did provide a good amount of information on all of this, cutting the cord, you know, weighing down debt. We'll put the notes on the uh, some of the uh, ideas on the show notes for this episode, episode number 741 of The Disciplined Investor, go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Next week, we got a load of, of, um, of listener questions that we're going to answer. And if you have any that you want to put in, go over to The Disciplined Investor. Also, coming up, we have a webinar. We have a looking back to 2000 and, um, uh, 2021 and looking forward to 2022. More information on that is right there on the Discipline Investor. So coming up in the middle, middle part of December, go over there. You could register. You have to register. You have to register. Do that now to save your spot. 
go over to the disciplineinvestor.com on the right hand side there is a little box and that box says hey register for webinar wouldn't you know and just click it and put your name and email address in there and we'll go from there kevin thanks so much thank you all right we'll be around next week and every week on the Disciplined Investor Podcast. So stay tuned for some other things. Next week, going to kind of talk about the, the differences and ways to actually invest stocks, bonds, uh, ETFs, mutual funds, and kind of which way is maybe the best way to go for every different kind of individual. Otherwise, thank you so much for joining me. We'll be around next week. DisciplinedInvestor.com, Andrew Horowitz, Kevin Hoffman signing off. I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 